This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, there's not really a ton going on in the world of news right now. There's a lot of Last of Us coverage. There's a lot of South by Southwest coverage up on Slash Film. So I encourage people to go read that. So instead of talking about the news, uh, let's just dive into what we've been doing and watching and eating and all that stuff. So let's kick it off with what we've been doing. What have you been doing recently, Brad? I recently finally took the time to build the Home Alone Lego house. Uh, I got this as a birthday present last year, and I just haven't had the time to like really sit down and, and build it because I knew it was going to take a long time. It's it's a it's a pretty big uh, Lego set. It's like a, a modular version of the uh, entire McAllister house uh, from the Home Alone movies. And so uh, but I, I finally had the time to do, do it over weekend. I just sat down and build it across two days. And this was a lot of fun uh, to put together. It's, it's almost 4000 pieces. Um, and it's just it's a really cool uh set up because you can open the front panels of the house to see the rooms inside. Uh, it comes, you know, with, with Kevin and Marv and Harry and Kevin's mom. It even has the the van uh, that the wet bandits use to sneak around the Chicago suburbs in. Nice. And there's a lot of cool Easter eggs and, and details. It has an actual laundry suit where you can sh- laundry shoot where you can drop down a little iron on top of Marv. Uh, <laughs> it has a little, little spider and uh, yeah, just just a lot of really really cool uh, details in Lego set. It's it's a lot of fun to put together. Also, the uh, the furnace in the basement actually has a light up brick that turns on when you open the furnace as well. That's pretty cool. Do you time yourself when it comes to putting these things together, or not really? No, not really. Like I I vaguely keep track. Like I I just think I I look back and see like how many hours you know it took me. And I think this one was ended up being somewhere around like a like a, a ten hour build. I think. Okay, yeah. nice. Uh, I haven't really been doing much. My wife and I got uh, bicycles for the first time in many, many years. When we were living in LA, we had bikes, but not really any place to uh, store them. We put them like out on the balcony and in our apartment, and um, you know, we just didn't, didn't ride them very much, and they kind of like rusted and got old and crappy. So like, I haven't really had a bike since god since i was like a teenager so or maybe i guess when i was in college like I, I would ride my bike around campus and stuff um but that was really the last time that like i had a a bicycle and, and regularly used it so uh just getting back into biking around my neighborhood and like up to 
you know, um, go grab food and, and uh, hang out up at the, <laughs> in the little uh, neighborhood area stores and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, just I, I would recommend like if you live in an area where it makes sense, get a bike. It's, it's um, it, you know, it sort of brings back those feelings of childhood and it's just a, a cool thing. So <laughs> when, when was the last time you were on a bike, Brad? Gosh, I honestly don't even remember. It's It's been so long. It probably was college, honestly, because I, I rode my bike around campus for a little while. Uh, before I had my car uh, down there with me. So yeah, it, it's probably been o- probably over a decade, I think, since I've, I've been on a, a bicycle. Yeah, I'd recommend it. Maybe maybe look into it. It's a fun uh, fun way to sort of break things up and, and get outside and all that. So uh, bikes, they're good. That's my, that's my uh, <laughs> hot <two cents>. take. <laughs> yes. um, all right, let's get into what we've been watching. What have you been checking out recently, Brad? Uh, I watched Creed 3 on the old big screen. Uh, I like the, the Creed movies. Uh, it's a great uh, new direction for the Rocky franchise. Michael B. Jordan has been fantastic in them. And uh, Creed Three shows that he has a very promising future as a director. This is his first time directing a feature-length movie. Uh, and he brings a very interesting visual style to the franchise that we haven't seen before, especially when it comes to the boxing stuff. Um, if you pay attention to Slash Film, if you're even remotely interested in entertainment stuff, you've probably heard Michael B. Jordan and, and other people talk about how there was anime influences uh, on this movie. And as somebody who is uh, not particularly interested uh, in, in anime, mostly because of the animation style, uh, I actually appreciated the flourishes that he brought to this movie. He brings some uh, just really cool um, stylistic touches where it's it's mostly like anime fighting styles where you have like uh, intense close-ups uh, and like uh, interesting like smash cuts to like punches and uh, you know interludes of slow motion and things like that and it's done really well and there's also like kind of like a um, a, a surreal quality to one part of the boxing the final boxing match between Michael B. Jordan and uh, Jonathan Majors that I really appreciated so it was mm-hmm. it was really cool to see Jordan uh, bring something new to the franchise and Jonathan Major just continues to be a force of nature. Like this guy is just great in, in everything, and he makes for a, a really great uh, antagonist. I, I don't want to call him a straight up villain because, if anything, uh, I feel like Michael B. Jordan himself, his character, kind of uh, becomes a little bit of a villain himself, maybe even in this movie. Um, you know, uh, kind of uh, hoisted by his own petard, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's there's a really compelling dynamic between the two characters, and I, I really like this movie a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, what do you think about the idea of him? going straight into making more Creed stuff. Like you said that you were pleased with his direction and, and you thought it, it marks a, um, you know, a promising start for him as a filmmaker. Is there something tragic almost about him um, spending the next, whatever, 10 years just directing Creed projects? Or is that, were you like so um, enamored with his direction of this movie that you would actually be okay with that if he sort of gets sucked, sucked into this franchise that he's helped create? Uh, it depends. You know, I, I wouldn't want him to like dedicate too much time to it. I think I would like to see what else he can do behind the camera in other genres and things like that. Um, but if they're as good as, you know, the first and the third Creed movie, not that the second Creed movie is, is bad necessarily. It's just not as good as the first or, or third movies. Cause I, I still like Creed too. Um, but I think that there's a compelling story to be told if they flash forward, uh, you know, to his daughter's teen years and focus on her as a fighter and make mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan, you know, essentially the new, uh, Rocky mentor, but I feel like maybe that's something it would be better if they waited, you know, a longer time to allow Jordan to like maybe age a little bit more. And so that he feels more like a, an adult mentor figure, because I think that this movie kind of 
solidifies that like Creed's fighting career maybe is like on, on the outs and Creed's future is going to be like behind the scenes as a, a, a coach mentor kind of situation. So if, if they can do something cool that follows Creed's daughter, obviously you can still call it a Creed movie because of that. And I, I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. What else have you been checking out, Brad? I saw a scream VI. As the, the kids are calling it, right? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's only what I've heard to it referred as. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I saw Scream 6, uh, and it's the, the sixth installment of the Slasher franchise, obviously. Uh, it's the second installment of this kind of new direction with Radio Silence at the helm. That's the name of the, the directing team behind these new movies. Um, and there's been some divisive opinions on this one, but I, I actually like this one. Um, it feels like it's uh, they, they definitely use the the the, um, the framing of like this is the the screen two of this, you know, rebooted, you know, legacy sequel part of the franchise. Um, it takes place in college and, and all that stuff. And, you know, they like, kind of kind of make direct reference to the fact that it's like, you know, echoing what Scream 2 did. Um, and I, I'm not sure that it necessarily I won't spoil anything here, but I, I don't think it fully earns the the twist that happens at the end here but what i did like about it even if i wasn't necessarily sold on it was how unhinged the finale came became once you find out who the killer is uh that that was a lot of fun to me and uh there are some performances in here that like re- really just go for it uh and i kind of liked the the uh insanity of, of uh of some of the characters that you see on on display here so uh for me i just the screen franchise as a whole is just a lot of fun you know i think even the the worst chapter which which is probably scream three um is still a lot of fun for me it, it, it's it's campy and, and and silly but i just i enjoy the the meta commentary and references to to horror and whatnot and they always come up with uh great lines for Ghostface and really you know gruesome uh slashers you know uh, gruesome kills for um the victims so yes it's, it's a lot of fun for me i enjoyed it I'm going to see this tonight. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, excellent. Okay. Uh, you've also been checking out something that um, I think just recently premiered at South by Southwest, right? Indeed. Yeah. I saw a disturbance in the force, uh, how the Star Wars holiday special happened. Uh, if you don't know, the Star Wars holiday special is infamously terrible. One of the most maligned uh, and laughed about things in the history of Star Wars. Yes. Even more than the prequels. Um <laughs> And it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty straightforward documentary, just digging into how the Star Wars Holiday Special came to be, why, why there are such weird things in it. Uh, it talks to some of the people who were involved in the, the creation of it. N- none of uh, any of the key names that you would like to see, like there's, there's no new commentary from George Lucas or Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford, uh, obviously not Carrie Fisher, unfortunately, but they do use archive clips for them from conventions and interviews and things like that to support uh, the, the documentary, but otherwise you have people who work behind the scenes, some of the producers and uh, department heads, uh, Bruce Valanche, who you probably know from like the, the 90s, early 2000s version of Hollywood Squares was part of this uh, special. And he's one of the key talking heads throughout the documentary. Um, it's it's enjoyable enough as far as like learning some behind the scenes details, but it's the presentation that is kind of uh, lacking. It's it's a little too um boring i guess you could say you know like the the subject matter itself isn't boring it's interesting if you're a star wars fan to hear this stuff but it's just you know pretty basic cuts to to interviews and talking heads with archival footage um there are some nice uh flourishes where they use like certain graphic design elements that are that are just you know cool touches like making um using audio clips mixed with photos of people who are turned into like star wars trading cards was like a a cool thing to see but otherwise it's just uh it, it it's basically like if you were sitting around 
with friends and laughing about how ridiculous the Star Wars holiday special is, especially with when you have talking heads from people like Taron Killam. Anytime they cut to Taron Killam, like it's a pretty funny uh, talking head. But mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we could easily just have just as good of a time just sitting around and talking about the Star Wars holiday special ourselves. So, <laughs> so it's uh, it, it's entertaining, entertaining enough. But I, I, I wish there was a little something more to it. Yeah. Um, Ryan Scott just did an interview with the filmmakers behind this. I'm going to link to that in the show notes if people want to check check that out. Even uh, You can read the interview even if you haven't seen the movie yet. It's it's more just talking about how they got access to the footage that they used and, and um, their approach to this sort of material and uncovering uh, some of the secrets that, that were long buried about this, uh, this project. So um, check that out if you are interested in that. Uh, what else have you been watching, Brad? Uh, I watched another South by Southwest movie. This is uh, a, a documentary that is premiering at the festival, um, and it is called Pay or Die. Uh, it's directed by Rachel Dyer and Scott Alexander Ruderman, and this is about uh, the insulin uh, epidemic, I guess you could say, across the United States, where uh, the United States is basically the only country uh, in the world where insulin, it costs an astronomical amount to pay for. So if you have type one or type two diabetes, you're paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month to take care of insulin. And this is something that costs three or four dollars to to make per vial and a vial can last you, you know, for uh, for almost a month. And it's it's insane uh, how unethical the pricing has become from pharmaceutical companies who uh, distribute insulin and how much they're they're charging for it. There has been there have been some developments recently as far as like uh, helping with that, but this is really a uh, a heart wrenching uh, plea featuring you know real people who are afflicted by how much insulin costs. You know families, people with kids, uh, people who have lost kids who in their twenties because they had to they were forced to ration their insulin because they couldn't afford it. And because they couldn't give themselves enough insulin, they unfortunately died. And it's just, uh, it's a real tragedy. And it's, it's a real problem in the United States. And this isn't the only, you know, uh, medication where there's there's a problem with, but it's one of the the biggest ones, because there are so many people who require insulin to live. So uh, yeah, if you get a chance to see this, and you you know, you don't know much about this topic, uh, it's a very, a very emotional plea uh, for there to be just something done uh, about this uh, crisis here in the United States. Wow. Okay. So that's called uh, Pay or Die. Yeah. Um, and it, I'm guessing it doesn't have uh, distribution yet because it, it just debuted at this festival, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard about distribution yet. So, uh, what else have you been watching? I have also watched Isle of Dogs for the first time, the Wes Anderson movie. Uh, somehow this. Uh, went by me when it was released back in 2018, uh, which feels like a long time ago, even though it's yeah. <laughs> not super long ago. But it, but uh, yeah, so I, I got around to watching this finally. And uh, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. I'm, I'm always down for a new Wes Anderson movie. Uh, and seeing him get into animation, it was a lot of fun with Fantastic Mr. Fox. And uh, this came came around afterwards. And, uh, you know, it has his, uh, of course, quirky visual sensibilities and comedy and, and storytelling style. has a great cast. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It's not one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, uh, but I think that it was it was a lot of fun. It's a, a unique story and, and setting. And uh, just the way he, he was able to he's able to bring his, you know, visual style to uh, stop motion animation like this. It's a, a great merging of uh, his, his filmmaking sensibilities. So, uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, I skipped this one as well. I, I was I remember remember hearing some sort of, uh, I guess, I don't know, mixed to negative things about it. But I'm, I'm uh, heartened to hear that you liked it. Maybe I'll add it to my ever growing list of things to just to finally get around to checking out. Um, 
Okay, so you also had a chance to dive into some uh, of the new season of Ted Lasso, right? Indeed. Uh, the pr- press has been supplied uh, with the first four episodes of season three of Ted Lasso. Uh, I won't get into any spoilers here, so don't have to worry about fast forwarding or anything like that. Uh, but I will provide just a, a general reaction. Um, and it's that uh, the beginning of the season is is pretty good, but it doesn't match up to the greatness of season one or season two of Ted Lasso. Um, however, as I made my way through these first four episodes, I felt like I was warming up to it once I got around to the end of the fourth episode. And part of me thinks that maybe the reason that these early episodes don't feel quite as, uh, polished or as, as, as funny as the other seasons might be intentional because it feels like this season is getting a little more, uh, dramatic, much, much in the same way that we've seen Ted's uh, anxiety slowly creep up on him and invade that, you know, endlessly positive outlook on, on life and, and, and everything that he has. Uh, it's you, there, There's a little bit more anxiety here. There's a little little more uh, drama that, that creeps in. And uh, if, if there's one thing that I would complain about uh, from these first four episodes, it's that I think that maybe there's a little too much focus on some of the supporting characters. Um, the first two seasons of Ted Lasso have always had like little side stories and things involving the the team um, and Hannah Waddingham's character and, and Juno T- Temple's character, uh, you know, and, and Roy Kent and Jamie Tart and whatnot. Um, but this one, there there are there's one particular storyline. Uh, I won't I won't single it out, but you'll know it when you see it. Where it feels like we're maybe spending a little too much time with this character, and it just might be because they're setting up a spinoff. That's at least what it feels like I, that could change by the end of this the season, because there's 12 episodes this season. There's a lot of stuff that can happen before the end. And maybe it's just something that uh, they changed up the season, but I just feel like I, I would prefer a little bit more focus on uh, Ted as a character and spend less time with some of the supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, I think, I think this season really kicks into gear in season three. Uh, that's the best episode of the four that um, I, that I've seen. Or episode three. Or, sorry. Yeah. Episode, episode three uh, um, of these first four episodes. Uh, and that's that um, I think that's where like, it kind of starts to feel like it's old self, but there's still, you know, lingering concerns uh, mostly because of the way the story is unfolding. So I, I hope that it's something that will feel more like a feature than a bug once we're, we're done with this whole season. Okay. Um, I'll pull back the curtain just briefly with a story that probably is not interesting to anyone, but I tried to watch the first episode of this, um, of the screeners that they sent out and they don't have uh, closed captions on them. They don't have um, of subtitles. And I just like literally couldn't understand what the characters were saying. I don't know if it was because oh, no. the accent stuff was so harsh or like the, the sound mix was so bad. Um, or if my, just my home TV setup is not nearly as good as I thought it was, but I was like, I, I'm just not even going to bother watching these screeners. I'm just going to watch it, you know, when it actually rolls out where I can watch it, like sort of in the comfort of having subtitles to to help me out with some of this. I don't know. Did, did you experience any sound issues at all, Brad, or was that just me? I, I did notice um, that it felt like sometimes the mix was not, uh, and, and they did, there, there is a, a, a disclaimer that says that in some cases the, the mix isn't finalized and like oh, okay. color correction. So I think that there was, I did have to turn mine up um, in at certain times where I, I, the dialogue was, was hard to hear. So that might just be an issue with this being an early screen or not having like a final cut episode. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I missed the, uh, the disclaimer there. Um, okay. So you saw the first four episodes of Ted Lasso season three. I think the, the first episode, uh, comes out on Apple TV plus tomorrow, um, March 15th, as you're listening to this. 
And then uh, you also saw the first four episodes of another upcoming show, right? I did. Uh, in case you haven't heard, Andy Samberg has a new animated series coming to Comedy Central. Uh, this is an adult comedy animated series that he co-created with Neil Campbell, uh, who was uh, a, a writer and producer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a while. He did something like uh, over 80 episodes over there. So uh, him and Andy Samberg have a long working relationship. Uh, and the series is called uh, Digman, with an exclamation point. And it is basically an uh, adult animated version of Indiana Jones slash National Treasure uh, meets like uh, the edginess of, of Rick and Morty. Um, and there is there is some some more sci-fi to it than I anticipated uh, because I wasn't expecting as much sci-fi when you're dealing with like a kind of an adventure uh, type character. But uh, it is absolutely hilarious. Um, it is the, the perfect kind of uh, Lonely Island humor that you would, you would expect from this. Um, there's a lot of fun characters. There's an incredible array of, of guest stars who play play new characters in each episode. And it's just uh, a lot of fun. I've seen the first four episodes. Um, and uh, that's that's all I'll say for now. And uh, you'll find out more next week because I just interviewed uh, Andy Samberg and Neil Campbell today. So I'll have more on Digman for you next week. Excellent. So do you know off the top of your head when that starts to, uh, I guess, when that when that premieres on Comedy Central? I believe it is March 27th, but I am going to tell you here in just one second once I get into my email. <laughs> and uh, it is uh, March 22nd uh, at 1030 East p.m. Eastern on Comedy Central. And I assume it will also be available on Paramount Plus after it premieres. Excellent. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc all right the few things that i wanted to talk about i finished the season the first season of the last of us brad have you watched any of this yet i have not i decided to hold off uh, and wait until the season was over so i will probably catch up here uh, in the near future now that the first season is over did you play the game when I, it came out? I have not played the game. This is, this is the thing where uh, over the years I've had increasingly less time to play video games. And even though I heard how awesome this game was, uh, I just couldn't bring myself to do it because I knew it was probably going to take me a long time. And I uh, I already have a couple games that like I need to play and haven't even touched. So like at this point, I just uh, I've given up probably on the concept of, of playing it until like, you know, the PlayStation 4 is like a retro console. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, man, that is incredibly relatable. There are so many games that I want to play that I just don't have time for. Um, okay, so yeah, Last of Us. I'm not going to talk much about it. Um, we've written a lot about it on SlashFilm.com. It's like one of, I think, our writers' favorite shows to write about, um, which is good because it's a really, really good show. And there's so many different things to um, to 
sort of dig into and and really interesting thematic stuff, really uh, terrific performances from Pedro Pascal and, and Bella Ramsey. Um, I just, as somebody who played the game and then watched the show, I obviously knew what was coming, but uh, I loved the the diversions that they took, the the uh, differentiation between the show and, and the um, and the game. And I just think this is like a really, really top tier stellar adaptation across the board. Uh, Craig Mazin, who um, recently worked on uh, Chernobyl, teamed up with Neil Druckmann, the creator of the game, to show run this show. And um, man, they just, I really feel like they knocked it out of the park. So um, really, you know, just a, a standing O for me uh, for season one of The Last of Us. I cannot wait to see what they do with the second season because uh, that second game is, oof, man, quite the experience. And um, I know they're going to spread it out over multiple seasons this time instead of just um, condensing the entire action of the second game into one season like they did with, with season one. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm super curious to see uh, what the adaptation choices look like going forward because they really, really did an excellent job. So uh, if you're out there and you're like Brad and you have not watched The Last of Us yet, uh, it's all streaming on HBO Max right now, and it is well, well, well worth your time, even though it is about a pandemic and, um, you know, it's a it's a fairly bleak show at times. It's also just terrifically well made and, um, yeah, definitely worth your time. So that's The Last of Us. Uh, I also watched a movie called The Macintosh Man that I'd never heard of before. This is from 1973, and I was like, okay, 1973, uh, starring Paul Newman. I'm interested. Uh, Co-starring James Mason. Okay, you got me. Directed by John Huston. All right, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, written by Walter Hill. How about that? Okay, wow. yeah, let, let's go for it. Uh, this movie is real bad. Um, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is probably why like, I've never even heard of this movie. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. And, and in hindsight, I should have known that the reason that I've never heard of it, even though there's all those talented people is because it was bad. Uh, it's not only bad, it's just genuinely confusing. I think it's, it's one of those movies that feels like, um, I think I was reading about on, on Wikipedia a little bit and it says it's based on a book and it's, it just feels like one of those projects where everybody involved read the book or like know, knew the source material so well that they got lost in the project and forgot to think about it from the outsider's perspective, from the audience's perspective, because I just like couldn't follow what was happening. And it's, it's, um, you know, very much in that, that, um, that milieu of like, um, three days of the condor and, you know, those kinds of like seventies paranoia thrillers. Mm -hmm. Um, most of them are, are really good. And like, there's this whole subgenre of those types of movies that are, are killer. And I love watching those. Um, this movie has kind of the look of one of those movies, the aesthetics of one, but the plot is just so, um, uh, all over the place that I, I just, I really couldn't track the ins and outs of, uh, you know, what exactly was happening. Paul Newman plays a British secret service or not secret service, like a, like a, um, I guess just an intelligence agent. He adopts an Australian accent at one point and he gets caught after trying to steal some jewels and he goes to jail. And, uh, I guess the, the point is he's trying to like flush out, um, you know, the members of some sort of secret society, but like the, the characters never actually lay out what they're going to do or what the mission is in a clear way. So I spent the whole time wondering like, okay, is this part of his plan? Is this him just thinking on his feet? Like how much of this is, um, you know, is going off the rails and how much of this is him being, you know, some sort of 
uh, master agent genius who's like, yes, yes, it's all according to my plan. So I, I yeah, I, I just like, I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot, but I just genuinely had a lot of trouble following the plot for this. And I was, <laughs> I was reading a little bit afterwards. And uh, I, I, Variety wrote in its review that it was, quote, a tame tale of British espionage and counter-espionage. Uh, and that's the end of that quote. And then they added that, um, quote, there's a whole lot of nothing going on here. <laughs> and then uh, Roger Ebert said that it was, quote, perhaps the first anti-spy movie because it seems to have been made by a group of people with no sympathy or understanding for spy movies. Damn. So, um, yeah, just uh, I guess I, I wasn't the only one who like didn't necessarily like this movie. I, maybe they tracked the plot better than I did. But um, Walter Hill also uh, was basically like saying saying that he like half heartedly wrote this script and then was shocked when he heard that Paul Newman wanted to be in it and John Huston wanted to direct it. So because uh, he was like, I, I don't even think this is a good movie. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there you go. It's called The Macintosh Man. I would recommend uh, staying away from it. There is one um, car chase sequence that uh, may be worth looking up on YouTube um, just for how it it uh, it ends, I, I guess. Um a car like ramps off a cliff and and sort of uh, crashes into a uh, an Irish beach that I thought was oh yeah you know that that looks pretty good but most of this movie was uh, pretty unintelligible to me so um, there's that uh, and then also I've I've been hearing so many good things about what we do in the shadows the FX TV show which is in its what fourth or fifth season or something at, at this point do you watch that show Brad I do yeah yeah they okay they, they, I think their fifth season is the one that's coming up. Okay, so I've heard so many good things for years about the show. And uh, a few years ago, my wife and I were on a plane and we watched the movie. Uh, and I don't think we cracked a smile the whole time. And I was like, I, I guess this thing is just not for me. This franchise, this, this movie, this whole thing is not for me. But I keep hearing so many good things about the show. And I was like, okay, we're on a plane. Maybe need to, we need to give the movie another shot and then dive in and, and watch the show. So that's what we've done. We, we rewatched the movie and laughed several times. It's, it's not, it was not nearly the stoic experience that I remember. So uh, maybe just watching it on a plane when I was probably in a bad mood because of the hell that is air travel was not uh, doing that movie any favors. And then uh, we started watching the show and I think we're only four or five episodes in at this point, but man, it's so funny. <laughs> I'm very, very pleased uh, with this decision and, and I am thankful to everyone who uh, has been watching the show and, and singing its praises because you finally convinced me to give this a shot. And I'm, I'm very glad that I've, that I did. And it sort of seems like from the vibes that I've been hearing from people and Brad, I'm curious what you think about it too, is that it, is that it's one of those shows that gets better as it goes along. Um, but I am pleased with it even in the early stages of season one. So um, what do you think about the uh, trajectory of, of the FX adaptation? Yeah, I, I love uh, the series. The series it, it does a great job of expanding uh, the universe and like the roster of characters. And um, it doesn't just feel like a, a retread of the the movie. There, there are a couple similarities, obviously, because it's a mockumentary format. And uh, a couple of the characterizations are, um, are similar. But uh, when it comes to like Matt Berry's character... Um, and, uh, and, and Nadia and uh, Colin Robinson as the, the energy vampire. Like, it just brings in so many new elements, and there's such a great dynamic between all these characters. Uh, Harvey Guillen, you know, as, as uh, the, um, the familiar as well. It's just, uh, it's a hilarious show, and it definitely does get, get better as, as it goes along, because you really just get to, pardon the pun, sink your teeth into these new characters. <laughs> um, and there's just, yeah, there's so many cool threads, and there's great, uh, great guest stars. I'm very excited for you to get to the episode 
um, with uh, with Mark Hamill. That's a fun one. Oh, sweet. And, yeah, Nick Kroll was just in the one that, that we just uh, watched. Oh, yeah, Kroll's hilarious on that show. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's great. And then, uh, of course, the the uh, the famous and beloved Jackie Daytona episode. Uh, keep an eye out for, for that one. That one's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, all right, let's get into uh, what we've been eating. I haven't really tried anything interesting recently, but as usual, Brad, you've come with a, a uh, veritable smorgasbord of things to talk about here. So what have you been eating recently? Of course. Uh, so uh, Hostess re- sent me a couple of their new um, breakfast items. One of them isn't really, I wouldn't consider a breakfast item, but they, that's what they decided to, to put it under. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to talk about right now. It's uh, the chocolate baby bunts. Uh, they've had these baby bunt cakes for a little while. They're kind of like, um, I guess you could say almost like like a maybe the size of like a, a coaster, maybe a little smaller than that. I don't know, but they're, they're very soft, uh, moist bunt cakes that have like different flavored drizzle on them. Uh, this one is, I'm surprised it took them so long to do this one, but it is, is a chocolate cake with chocolate drizzle, uh, and cho- chocolate in the middle, but they have other flavors like, uh, lemon and, and strawberry and things like that. And, uh, this one is very good. I'm, I'm surprised by how, how soft, uh, the, these are and the chocolate is good on, on them as well. They also have, uh, old fashioned, uh, donuts, uh, in their mini donuts line that just came out. I, I got those hmm. as well. Um, I forgot to put them on, on the list here, but I'm not a big old fashioned donuts flavor person. These are still, um, they're, they're pretty good, but I'm just, not, I'm just not like uh, a big fan of this particular donut. So they're not, it's not one of my favorites. Uh, but if you like old fashioned donuts, then uh, you'll probably want to try these. Is an old fashioned donut just like a, a classic cake donut? Is that so? There's a certain I don't know what the the flavor is. I want to say like it's like there's um it's like a it's like a sour cream esque glaze. I think it is. I honestly don't, oh I don't I honestly don't know uh, for sure what it is, but it is it, they are there. It's not just a cake donut, um, but it, it has a certain like sweet glaze on it, and so okay that that's what that's what it is. And they're they're also uh so, soft and good. So but but for me, it's just not one of my favorite donuts. So I'm not yeah. I'm not in love with them. But both of those you can find uh hitting store shelves this month yeah i just can't get over the idea of like chowing down on a, a baby bunt like a full cake for breakfast that seems <laughs> seems so strange to me yeah but, yeah um... yeah it's it's a, it's a weird concept but you know here we are i, I it's in in some ways it makes sense it just doesn't seem like that because like the uh donuts have done a really good job of convincing us that it's a breakfast food when it's really it's really not like it's it's just a dessert that you eat for breakfast so you know what you're absolutely right i've never thought about that in my life but that makes a lot of sense with that framing yeah. so yeah so yeah, it, it works i guess um i also tried a um a handful of sheets iced coffees uh for those of you that don't know sheets and that's with a z at the end uh, is this chain of convenience stores in uh, Maryland, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia? Uh, kind of, kind of like uh, Wawa on the the, the East Coast or, or Circle K and whatnot. Uh, and they have their whole a whole line of snacks and food and. Uh, drinks and all that, and they recently released a whole new line of iced coffees. Now we don't have sheets here in the Midwest, but one of the Instagrams that I follow through my my Brad's Junk Instagram uh, at Look at Brad's Junk, if you want to know more about these cool foods and snacks, um, got a whole package of like uh, of all twelve of the new flavors that are coming out, and I was like, man, I want to try those. So I reached out to Sheets on Instagram, and I was like, hey, we don't have sheets out here. I was like, but I've gone the times that I've been in the states that have them. Uh, and love the stuff that you guys do. Would you guys be willing to send me, you know, a few of these to try? And they're like, you know what? Yeah, we will. <laughs> so they so they sent me four flavors. They sent me chocolate banana, s'mores, cookies and cream, and orange dreamsicle. Uh, orange dreamsicle is the only one I haven't tried yet, but the other three flavors are are.
are fantastic. Uh, they're they're just sweet enough. Uh, it captures the the flavor as advertised, uh, and I'm just a big fan of uh, iced coffee in a can anyway. So if you have sheets in your area uh, and you haven't tried these new iced coffees, I wholly recommend uh, trying these the the new flavors because they are they are delicious. Okay, you've also been uh, giving some jelly beans a shot. Yeah, you know Brock's uh, it's crazy. The, the the classic candy company that always does uh, jelly beans and candy corn and whatnot. Uh, and over the years, they've done some wild stuff. They've uh, and I've talked about them on here. They've they've done the, the tailgate one that had like hot dog and hamburger flavored candy corn. They've done taco truck jelly beans with like salsa and, and guacamole and ground beef. Um, thankfully, these aren't quite as weird as that. Uh, and these are desserts of the world jelly beans that are out for Easter. Uh, and they have five flavors. They have chocolate macaron, strawberry mochi churro apple pie and lemon sorbet um and they're fine uh thankfully none of the flavors are gag worthy uh, a couple are disappointing the churro and apple pie ones don't really have that strong of a flavor um the apple flavor is barely even in the apple pie one uh but the strawberry mochi and lemon sorbet ones do have a strong uh fruit flavor and those are pretty good and then the chocolate macaron one is just basically just a chocolate jelly bean like there's nothing that's specifically macaron about it so so they're okay um but, but I'm, I'm always interested in, in seeing how they're able to capture you know these kinds of complicated flavors in just like a little bite-sized jelly bean. So mm-hmm. that's me. Um, but yeah, those you can find at CVS and I also saw them at five below. So if you want to try and track those down, what is five below? I don't have that in, in Florida. So five below is this uh, store that where everything costs $5 or less. And they basically have like a wide variety of stuff. Um, usually like cheap, gadgets and like makeup and hair care and like office supplies uh but they're also known for having like a really big uh variety of of candy uh hmm. and so they have they have a bunch of ra- random stuff some stuff that is you, you can usually only get like in, in canada or the uk but a bunch of different varieties of of candy and stuff are also at these five below stores so awesome yeah all right what else have you been checking out uh i tr- um i stumbled upon this at 7-eleven they have a new um flavor of uh, cappuccino it's uh pinky's strawberry white chocolate cappuccino and this is inspired by the the ghost pinky from the pac-man video games for whatever reason um <laughs> and i was just like oh okay strawberry white chocolate cappuccino that sounds pretty good and you know what it is pretty good um the way i'll describe it may not sound appealing because no one wants to drink a warm milkshake but it tastes like a warm strawberry milkshake the, the, <laughs> the flavor is like is exactly like what they would have in a strawberry milkshake it's just uh, warm and has that uh, white chocolate touch to it. So it, it is, it is, it's definitely very sweet, but it is uh, very good. I, I liked it a lot. And you can get that I, at Seven Eleven. I can't get over the the Pac Man tie in. There's no yeah. like new Pac Man video game, is there? Not that I know of. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, you know, it's so weird to see how some like brand crossovers and things like that happen because it's like, oh, you know what's really going to help sell this Pac Man. <laughs> All right, there's one more thing that you've been checking out recently. What is that? Uh, yeah, so Fritos um, has those uh, flavored twists that are out there. You usually can get them uh, in, in Honey Barbecue. I think that's the um, the dominant flavor that's out there. Uh, yeah, but, I've had those. Yeah, and they're they're very good. I like I like them a lot. I, I like them more than like regular Fritos for the most part. Um, and there's a new flavor out there. Uh, it's queso. And you can only get these at Dollar General right now. And I finally uh, stumbled upon a bag. And these are really good. Uh, the flavor is something like a, a mix between uh, the nacho cheese and taco Doritos. Uh, the seasoning on them is is really, really good. Um, so if, you, if you're able to track those down, uh, get them at Dollar General. Because uh, I was expecting them to have sometimes the, the artificial queso seasoning that they use for, for chips like this. Um, it's I just I don't like it. Sometimes it's because the the spice is just a little off, and it doesn't really taste like queso. It just tastes like vaguely 
um, like spicy artificial cheese. Uh, but mm-hmm. but I like that these ta- have a, have a mix of the the taco flavor and nacho cheese flavor of of Doritos. So yeah, so these are these are very good. Okay, that's uh, queso Fritos flavor twist. If you want to check those out, and I think that's going to bring it bring us to the end of today's show. You can find more about a lot of the things that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. There's tons of stuff up there about Creed three and Scream six, and uh, tomorrow we're kind of a bunch of Ted Lasso season three coverage. So uh, steal yourselves for that, prepare for that, uh, bookmark the site if you haven't bookmarked it already, and just come back throughout the day and check it out. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And don't forget to leave your name and general geographic location. In case we mention your email on the air, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts as well. That really does help us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.